0: Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. And today, episode 26 on the podcast, we welcome in senior Isaac Haas. Second straight week, we've gone to the senior class for our guest. Last week, uh, Dakota Mathias was on, uh, still, still buzzing um, over the podcast, the, the famous Boilerball podcast bump that Larry and I talk about. Isaac, I don't know if you're prepared for this, but your social media accounts are about to spike. Uh, popularity on campus will become uh, at an all time high now due to this appearance here on the podcast. So first, welcome in uh, and thanks for uh, for being part of this.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you for having me.
0: So uh, we talked a little bit to Dakota last week about this um, kind of the notion of four years and how quickly they go by. Mm-hmm. So talk us through, um, you know, take a, well, first take us back uh, to your freshman year and you guys all arriving in june of that summer and uh, and tell us a little bit about what that was like and how you know you handled your acclimation to purdue and college life
1: oh man uh well about four years ago um you could say i was about 320 pounds <laughs> and, you, like, and, and what are you now yeah about 296 okay. something like that so lost a lot of weight but i mean man freshman year did not make a lot of good choices eating-wise. Uh, so, you know, when we came in in June, uh, we had those individuals in the lifts. I'm I'm dying. <laughs> I'm sweating every day like crazy. Can't breathe. Feel like my heart's going to stop. And that continued for the entire summer almost um, and well into the season. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not a good decision to smash out on a Papa John's pizza every day and drink a liter. <laughs> a liter of Fanta. <laughs> But,
0: uh, was that part of just being away from home and, like, you know, you get to college and, hey, there's no supervision anymore and you kind of do what you want to do?
1: Right, exactly. So, I mean, in my in my household, like, we usually uh, cooked a lot of healthy stuff, believe it or not. And then, uh, like, every once in a while we get a Papa John's pizza. And, like, that was kind of like a a good day for us, you know. Sure, that's a treat. That's what yeah, it was well, a I treat. think a lot of
0: people do that, that. You splurge and get a pizza and now you get to splurge every night. Right? Yeah, every single night, yeah.
1: So freshman I was I was like, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. And uh, so I mean I was eating it every night and wondering why I was dying at practice the next day. So is that the biggest was that the
0: biggest adjustment was the fact that now you're and I remember and and I think you're fine with me sharing this story, but I remember the phone calls talking to the staff that you had when you were uh, right around graduation time. Your season was, your basketball season was over and you were kind of working out on your own, preparing to graduate high school and then join uh, us in June for summer classes. And I remember the phone call one time you made, I think to coach Gary and you had said that, Hey, you were up to 320 and you were really excited about that. And we kept thinking, yeah, he doesn't need to worry about his weight. He needs to worry about his, you know, his conditioning and making sure, you know, his muscle content and that kind of thing. And and we we told each other as a staff, we thought, you know, this he's going to be in for a rude awakening when he gets here. Yeah. <laughs> and then sure enough. And talk about, you know, in the summer, what you guys do. I mean, it's not, I mean, we do some basketball stuff, but it's not a lot. Most of your time is spent in the weight room, agility work, and that kind of thing.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of uh, weightlifting, you know, doing the finer point things, not like muscle mass building. Um, that's something I didn't understand before coming to college is that, you know, Josh is a great trainer, and uh, as much as we give him a hard time for uh, being honest about, you know, the small things, but he uh, he actually does have our best interests in mind, and he does a lot of uh, small muscle development and uh, making us better basketball players. Um, that's something that I didn't really understand coming to college, and so, you know, I, I paid for it. <laughs> I went through those hard times, and uh, now it's kind of easier. Um, but yeah, a big adjustment for me was honestly, like, understanding that you have to be responsible for your for yourself, really. because um, you know, when you live with your parents, like, you just kind of depend on them for a lot of things, and, oh, my meal's going to come from them, like, and I know that's going to be mostly healthy. Um, so, here you can splurge out and go eat, you know, Papa John's every day like I did freshman year if you want to. Or you can be disciplined and understand that ultimately you're going to feel better if you just maybe just eat a salad for lunch or if you just cook some spaghetti and make sure that's homemade and, like, you know, it's good stuff for in putting good stuff in your body. Because uh, Josh has told me multiple times that, you know, you're not going to put regular gas in a Lamborghini. And that's how I have to treat my body is like a Lamborghini. I have to make sure that uh, everything's finely tuned in this. And if I take one step off, man, like I'm going to have to recover from that. And, uh, you know, I see it every now and then. But uh, I've done a better job of getting – of taking care of my body like that.
0: (coughs) Well, I do know that one thing is uh, I know that when you were a freshman – your wind a lot of times in practices and in games, you know, you had you had limitations. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, sitting on the bench in games, we had to kind of monitor that as a staff and, and be on top of that. And somebody always alerted to coach, you know, hey, you know, Is Isaac's tired, and we need to get somebody in there. So the fact that I think when, if people took a snapshot of you as a freshman now entering your senior year, Mm-hmm. That to me is the biggest transformation. I mean, your your game has evolved, obviously, but I think everybody's game has evolved. But your your wind and your ability to push through those things is uh, is light years different. Yeah. And uh, and that's probably the biggest difference from you as a player as a freshman, but just the
1: ability to go longer. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, I was, there's still like times where where I'll just be like super tired, and it's like you just have to. You know, as a staff, like, you'll see me in practice and you'll just be like, hey, like, we need you, like, we need you to push through this. And it kind of, like, wakes me back up and realize that, you know, we're not going to go back to what we used to be. Like, my I'm mentally tougher than this. I can push through this. Like, this is nothing. Like, it's literally just practice. Like, this is – in practice is way harder than the games. And I've been through this practice so many times before. So, uh, you know, having that wake-up call every now and then, it's just kind of like – Of reminds me of how far I've come and then, um, you know, maintaining that mental toughness throughout the next couple weeks of practice or whenever I have a lapse again because just whenever I get tired, you know, because everybody has lapses where they just have a bad practice or they're just like super tired and they just, they feel like they're just, you know, under the weather, but uh, it's just a matter of fighting through that and understanding that we make practice harder for a reason, so. Right.
0: So, uh, let's get Cliz involved here. Uh, Larry, for the second straight week, is joining us from the uh, beautiful state of Florida. And uh, Larry, how are things uh, down there with you?
2: Well, it's a big state. I mean, I just found out <laughs> yesterday that Florida has 20 million people in it. And uh, when I came down here, this time when I traveled down the last few times I've come down here, I've traveled through Alabama, so I just want Isaac to know that I went through his great state.
1: Yeah, where'd you, where'd you
2: travel I, through? Well, I just went down 65, so I went through oh, Birmingham. Okay. And then, uh, so I, I didn't go to Hoax Bluff, or, but I was, you know, I went through the whole state. And, uh, I, and I kind of, at the end of this thing, I kind of go through, you know, places like Troy and Athens and some of those places, which are, I've never had a chance to go through, so it's kind of cool, a little different. And, uh, But I did want to mention, um, yeah, things are good down here, Elliot. I'll be home next week, by the way, after a five-week stay. And uh, looking forward to the start of the season. And uh, I want to see the football team in real action again. That would be kind of nice. I have uh, two quick uh, Isaac Haas stories before we continue. Even a third story here, and the third story quickly so I don't ruin this podcast, is uh, somebody on Golden Black yesterday had said, Hey, recommend some great podcasts, and you know we've mentioned probably in twenty to thirty percent of them, Elliot. So uh, I, I was a little
0: disappointed. a Little it, disappointed, and it just goes to show you how ill-informed the people on those. Exactly,
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Very ill-informed. It's, it's it's really it's a shame. It's too bad.
2: Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to you know, <laughs> be admon- admonishing anybody, and you know, wiggling my finger at him, but I mean seriously well all the listeners
0: the faithful listeners to our podcast right now whether they're in their car office home are shaking their heads at the thought that we wouldn't be mentioned in the same breath as some of the other great podcasts around exactly, the country
2: exactly 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 I, I wanted to throw that out you but a couple of quick Isaac Hoff stories uh, two, two years ago at Riley's Children's Hospital I've never seen a young man um uh, Interact with kids better than he did. And uh, it was really a a great joy to see. It was, um, that's a difficult place and environment to go into. And I'm just letting Purdue fans, all Purdue fans, listen to this other podcast that uh, if you would have seen them in action um, in this particular Environment, you would have been incredibly proud of them, and proud of the fact that it represents uh, our university. The other one is, and I, and this came out of uh, me having to do a personal uh, appearance, was just uh, last spring, and I had, uh, I, I rarely ever take on a speaking engagement that involves young, real young people. I'll do high school age kids, but but never junior high kids in grade school kids because quite frankly they're not going to listen to me <laughs> and so <laughs> oh they're the only so, ones that, okay. uh, oh yeah exactly <laughs> and uh, and so I had to uh, I, I really had to after polling several kids of that age like right, between the ages of 9 and 12 I asked them simply put as anyone when you listen to someone come in and speak to you an adult speak to you do you ever listen to them it was 100 percent. I mean I had I, I asked more than 20 people uh, that age group and it was hundred percent. no, I don't listen to them. <laughs> yeah no. no, they don't have anything to say to me. It's gonna change my life. So I had to come up with a prop. I had to do something really I had to do something really different and um, popped into my mind, why not an Isaac Haas shoe? because Isaac has a size 22 foot and I figured if I put this shoe, in a bag and then took it in for my speech. I pulled that thing out to get their attention. It would work. And Isaac, you'll be pleased to know it did, so thank you. (laughs) Because because I figured, here's what I figured. If they didn't listen to one word that I said, and by the way, they did after I did that. But if they didn't listen to one word I'd said, that every single one of them was going to tell somebody that they saw that shoe, because I took it around the whole place and let them feel it, you know, and see it. And I mean, like ten kind of those kids had trouble picking it up, so it was really great. So thank you for that, and uh, Elliot, you helped me out with that. But that's a that's one of my great Isaac Hoff stories. But he's a he's a tremendous young man, and I know we'll talk plenty of basketball here, but I wanted to get that
0: out. No, I'm so glad you brought that up because I wanted to um, I I want, wanted to bring up um, some of Isaac's work and, and with charity and with the kids and everything, and he's always been one of our best guys with that, but. but i also want to bring up you talked about going through alabama um isaac talk about hoax bluff and for those you know for those people who don't know you larry and i obviously have known you for quite a while and we we've heard a lot of stories about your hometown but uh, for those unfamiliar give us a little snapshot of of life in hopes hoax bluff and how it
1: was growing up there man uh well first of all i didn't Uh, I've lived in the same spot, which is kind of like in between, Uh, so I didn't exactly grow up in Hoax Bluff. Uh, I kind of went half and half. Uh, My younger years, I went to Pleasant Valley, um, which is a a way smaller school than Hoax Bluff. Um, And eventually, I think it was sixth grade year, uh, we decided that it was going to be a a better choice to send me to Hoax Bluff. Um, It was a little bit closer, and um, it was going to be a better environment for me to be in. And Hoekswaff is like a very tight-knit family community. Um, I mean, there hasn't been a reported uh, robbery or or any kind of stealing, or there wasn't when I was there uh, for like 20 years. I mean, by the time I graduated, it it was 20 years that nobody had reported anything like being stolen or anything like that. And I thought that was just an interesting fact. Um, So like not a lot of crime goes on. very protective community of our own and uh we kind of all help each other out so we had a lions club that you know our basketball team would help out with um we had um we we would actually for christmas we would uh help give like christmas trees uh to people who like couldn't afford to go get some and uh, we would help them like we'd go get gifts for them and stuff kind of like what we do now and uh we that was just something that we always did because we we took care of our own um, so it's a small town, I mean, we're, we're looking at probably a couple thousand people, maybe, um, there's one stoplight, uh, another four, two four-way stops, and then that's it. There's about four neighborhoods, probably, within the entire thing, um, the high school is kind of like in a back set, uh, it's sort of like out of the way, um, not really, can't really see it from like a main highway, um. But the people there are just always really nice and they're really supportive. And every time I go home and I'll stop and get gas or something or I'll stop and uh have to get groceries for somebody, I just try to like keep my head down and like keep moving. But like somebody will uh will stop me and be like, Hey, like we're really proud of you, like and what you're done, like you've put us both on the map and like just keep doing what you're doing. And so, you know, I've been kinda of proud to be a part of that but I just kind of tried to keep my head down about it and understand that you know I haven't really done anything yet because uh, whenever I get done with basketball, whether that be in the NBA or overseas or or maybe if I even go pro, I mean honestly, um, I do want to give back to the community. I want to be able to help our school build their basketball program, build build the community. Honestly, because you know it's just such a great community to be in, and I think uh, a lot of people like just don't see the values that can come from a small, tight-knit community from that.
0: What is basketball like down there? I know, uh, you know, when people think of Alabama, I think football probably jumps to mind right away. Uh, So talk a little bit about, you know, just the basketball environment growing up.
1: Uh, So it's funny that you mentioned that because football is kind of like King there. Um, Growing up, you know, I always thought I wanted to be an NFL player until I hit about seven foot. Um, Sophomore year of high school. Um, that's why I decided that I was too tall and I, I, just, I wasn't going to have a future um, in that. So I decided to stick with basketball because basketball is something I only did for conditioning. Uh, I enjoyed the game. It was a lot of fun to me, honestly, but I didn't understand the aspects of it. I didn't understand the game. Um, I just played it for conditioning, mostly for football. But then once I decided to make that a career, you know, I, I really just tried to do as much basketball as I could. You know. Uh, I fell in love with it with fall ball, Um, then eventually going into AAU and eventually moving from smaller AAU teams to the Atlanta Celtics, then from there to uh, Alabama Challenge, EYBL. Um, You know, basketball in Hoax not wasn't very big. Um, Football was always kind of the king sport there until, you know, I came along and uh, made that kind of like my priority. Mm -hmm. Um, My sophomore year when... uh, decided that football wasn't going to be for me anymore. And I uh, really focused on um, bettering myself in basketball. That was when we started to see our gym fill up. And our gym could probably hold 500, 600 people max. And um, w- we were lucky at that point to get like two, 300 people. Like that would be a big game for us. And uh, towards the end of my sophomore year, we actually made it across regionals, which is kind of like the Sweet 16. And uh, that's when we had our first full gym, and uh, people were just so excited about it. And basketball became like a big buzz. Uh, we lost that game unfortunately, but then you know, junior year we saw the game start to get more and more full, like mm-hmm. all the time. Even our first game, it was like packed wow. out. That's. And then senior year, like every single game was packed out from the very beginning. Nice. Yeah, and uh, so now basketball has kind of become a like a a shared staple. In Hoax Bluff, I, at least in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah I think they, they did a really good job of continuing the basketball program and making it good there. Um, because Hoax Bluff, like Purdue, is like, we're, we're kind of like hard-nosed, tough. You know, we just kind of fight through it all and we're defensive-oriented. And um, I think that's kind of been a staple throughout my entire life, and uh, that's why I've been happy to be a part of Hoax Bluff.
0: So then you come, uh, talk a little bit about you, when you get to Purdue, then, and obviously you 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 know basketball has grown as you're there in Hoax Bluff, but then you come to a basketball craze state, and you come to, uh, you know, a school with the most Big Ten championships, and obviously a, a very uh, uh, intense fan base, and one that's, uh, you know, times a thousand, you know, compared to, right. to a high school setting. Um, what did what was your first thoughts of that when you found out how much basketball meant here at Purdue? Uh
1: well, I, I do remember uh, coming on an unofficial visit one time with uh, Vince in Dakota. And then there was the Ohio, the Ohio State game here. Uh, I think you guys actually lost that game, but it was a really close game. Mm-hmm. And I remember that it was just, it wasn't packed out, but there was probably 11,000 people. And I was just like, what? Like, this is insane. This is so much more than I'd ever think would be, like, a part of, I, I'd ever think I'd be a part of. And so, like, I came in freshman year. And uh, I guess the biggest one that stands out to me is, like, IU at home that here. Like, when, when I walked out into the pregame warm-ups and, like, throughout the uh, the entire season, like, there had been nobody, you know, that had, that had come to the pregame warm-ups. And when we, when we walked out, the entire student section was filled to the brim on both sides, just ready, ready for the game. And, like, that right there was kind of like the stable, like, Like, this is basketball, like, up here. This is a big deal, and, like, these people care about it that much. And so it's been an unbelievable experience, and uh, I definitely wouldn't go back to how it was, that's for sure.
0: I want to bring up uh, something. Go ahead, Larry.
2: I was going to ask a question. I don't think we've asked any of the players this. Um, And since I didn't play at that level, I, you know, I I can only – go by walking into an arena or something of that nature, but one of the things about playing Big Ten basketball and playing in a Power Five conference, uh, and certainly in this day, and of course, my career at Purdue now spans 41 years, and I can honestly tell you that things were a little bit different 30 and 40 years ago than they are now, but in this case, every game, Isaac is, for the most part, televised. Um, Big Ten games, and of course, now we're going to have twenty of those uh, here in a couple of years. You'll be in the pros by that time. But the the um, every game is televised, and you have a you know an incredible uh, social media presence. And it seems to always you know during the course of the season, there just seems to be so much uh, involvement in, and you can't get away from it. Really, um, I can't do it as an announcer get away from it. So. It's kind of interesting to me. I, do you ever think about that knowing that those cameras are on you all the time? I mean regardless of what you do your reaction when you come out of a game your reaction during a game how you take a uh, a foul call a play that You're really good at one. that wasn't so good that, that all those things are always there to say you ever think about that much considering of course well, you did play high school ball, and in, in 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 your background in high school,
1: uh, you know, honestly, that's a good question. Um, no, I don't usually think about it. Um, you just kind of go out there and play the game. Um, I do remember freshman year. I thought about it a lot, and I think that was part of the reason why. You know, I, I made I was kind of a perfectionist freshman year, and I don't know why that was. It's really dumb. You can't be perfect in basketball. Um, so. You know, it, that's a really good question, though. I mean, you, you don't think about it, but you do, honestly. It's like every time that you get a coach reminding you, like, hey, like you need to not make those expressions when you're on the court and you need to understand there's people watching you and you're representing the, you represent know, a college, um, you know, it's it kind of like brings you back to reality that no matter what you're doing, like you're always in the spotlight and you need to understand that if you're going to represent the university the way that, you know it's meant to be represented. You need to uh, do the right things, and uh, doing the right things is not throwing your hands up whenever a bad call is made, not making faces, not you know throwing a temper tantrum when when coach takes you out of the game. And uh, I think I've developed in that throughout the years. Um, it's just uh, it's just a matter of reminding yourself from time to time because I think everybody loses sight of that at some point. Um, it's just uh, understanding that. You know, you, you got to do what's right, and uh, throwing your hands up with the ref isn't going to help you any more than you know it will with coach. I mean, honestly. So, um, and especially not with the fans, especially with the fan base as proud as we are in our program, and understanding that we're a classy, uh, we're a classy campus. So,
0: I've never had I've never had more fans um, of the program approach me about. The way someone's officiated, like you, and I don't think that'll—I don't think <laughs> yeah. that'll ever happen yeah. again. And you know, Larry That's and I, true. yeah, we've talked about it quite a bit. But and I'm sure you get a lot too, Larry. Is that the fans come up to us and say they first of all, it's a general um, feeling that they feel bad for you because they think that they're frustrated with how the game gets called when you're involved. Uh, they feel bad for you because they feel like that you're being held back or limited. Um. And I do, and I know that we've talked, uh, we've talked on this podcast about it with Coach Painter, that it is very difficult for officials with you because you are such an anomaly. You're, there's not many guys of your size playing the game. And so when a guy that is probably, you know, weighs 50 pounds less and, you know, four inches less than you is, is going up against you in the post, that can be a hard, uh, a hard challenge for that official to call. So, all that being said, um, and I'm not saying this, and I want you to get in trouble when all of a sudden the Big Ten calls us and say, what's your guy talking about on that podcast? <laughs> but yeah, well. um, there's got to be some moments where you're frustrated, but also talk us through just how you know, you've know you worked with the coaches here, and the Big Ten comes in every year and explains rules to us, and, and they've given you pointers from time to time as well.
1: Right. Um, so, I think – Rick Boyage, is he, he comes in a lot, and uh, he talks to us every year, and I think he actually was telling us that he's going in next week mm-hmm. at some point. Um, he, He's done a really good job of helping me understand the rules and the understanding that every ref is different. Um, it is frustrating at times, and uh, there's but ultimately there's nothing you can do about it. Like, once they make the call, they can't take it back, you know, and right. they're going to miss right. calls, yeah. you know. I mean, you know, after working with Coach Gary, Coach Painter, you, I mean – anybody that's really willing to reach out and just kind of, like, coach me through it, you know, throughout the years is kind of understanding that they're going to make the calls they're going to make. And uh, if it looks like a foul, then it is. And if, and if it's not, then it's not. You know, it's it's all a matter of what gets called and what doesn't. And, um, like I said, it is frustrating, but, you know, you just kind of fight through it. And the thought process behind it is just honestly, like, well, he either missed that one and he knows it, or... You know, or he really thinks he made the right call and, you know, making bad comments to him about it is only going to make him make another bad call on me. And uh, making another comment to him, honestly, even asking him, like, why did I do that is going to make him start to question and be like, who is this kid trying to question me, you know, on that subject. And because, you know, the ref, Coach Painter explains to us all the time, the refs are human too, and that they don't like to be questioned on or, like, really made a fool of on TV, like when the kid's throwing up their hands and stuff and wondering, you know, why did you make that call when they know they missed the call, you know? Do you think, when you
0: look at who you go up against uh, on a particular day on a, in a particular contest, do you, would you prefer to go against someone who is in your ballpark in terms of size, or would you or do you prefer to go against somebody who maybe is has more of a face-up game and more skill-based instead of power, um knowing that you do run the risk then of as they, you know if you back them down and they fall down you're going to get that foul or do you like going against guys your size that maybe you have to play more back to the basket and physical
1: with uh i like playing against guys my size you know it, it provides me more of an opportunity to be more physical and uh, play to my strengths and be able to i guess as fans would say like use my potential right honestly um it is kind of limited when going against smaller people. Uh, and obviously, you know, they make bad calls on that at times. And sometimes they make good calls. Sometimes I actually do foul the guy. And, uh, you know, I'll admit it if I do. And uh, if I really don't, don't think I did, then I'll, you know, fight for it otherwise. But, um, it, I do, like I said, it, I do like playing against bigger guys because I can feel them better. I can understand where they're going to go. And then I can use that to my advantage. Um, smaller guys, it's kind of harder to feel them and to understand where they're going to go cuz they're they're a lot quicker but it also makes it a lot more ment a more of a mental game for me than uh, than physical.
2: Let me ask you. Uh, yeah, then and there's another point too and I, I've always wondered if this is really true. I've asked, I mean you're not the first guy I've asked this stuff, but I've always felt that there is a you know, a feeling that time, you know, being a veteran is is important in terms of officiating. Do you feel that, uh, like, for example, last year as a junior or a third-year player, that it that once you get to know certain officials and, you know, we're, we're going with the same group of guys a lot of times, do you think any of them kind of see you a little bit differently or that you have a, you know, um, a rapport with them? I'm not saying that you're best friends and you're having dinner after the game. I'm just saying, <laughs> hey, am I getting any respect in this league or am I not? Is is that a real thing, or is that just a perceived thing that we think from the sidelines that maybe that does happen?
1: I mean, absolutely, it's a real thing. I mean, you see guys like you know Denzel Valentine back when he was at Michigan State, he would get away with a lot of things because you know he's earned a lot of respect in this league. He was a great player. Um, I think at times I've earned respect from the officials, and uh, at times you know they they just don't like me. You know, it's it's just a matter of who calls it and understanding what they're going to call and what they like and don't like. Um, and so it's good to kind of talk to those guys and understand what – and ask them, like, what do they like, what do they want, so that way you can play to what they want. So that way you can try to use that to your advantage so that way you can play against the guy uh, in the way that's going to be legal and going to help your team win. Well, that
2: should help us this year because we got four guys that play a lot of basketball this
0: week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hope. You guys, uh, we, yeah. we we hope you that a
2: pretty good idea. But, yeah, we hope that plays like out those like guys that. guys over for dinner and they know you. Yeah, yeah. yeah if,
0: the, if by tenure you get calls, and we've got a lot, hopefully a lot coming here in uh, in 2017, 18. Um, you talked about playing against guys closer to your size, so you you get to campus and right away, bang. You know, you show up to practice and, and there's AJ Hammonds waiting on you. Um, And I know a lot's been made pretty much your whole tenure at Purdue, and a big reason for it is the bigs at Purdue. Um, And you go against A.J. every day, then Biggie comes in the mix um, starting your sophomore year. Um, It's got to be good for you in terms of your development, and I don't think there's any argument about that. And I know some of the days when the three of you guys were going at it, on that end of the floor, I mean, it was unreal to watch. I mean, yeah. you, you had uh, some real battles in practice. Um, were there days, talk about those days, and the, t- tell us about the days when you wanted to walk right out of the building, and talk about the days <laughs> when, you know, you got the best of them, and and it was great to for your development.
1: Right, I mean, um, you know, when you go against people like AJ, you know, she's extremely talented, and just, um, you know, it was a great shot blocker. He kind of teaches you a lot about the game itself and uh, where where you need to develop your game as a post player. Um, there were times freshman year where I was just like, screw this. I don't know if I want to do this crap anymore. Like, my body hurts. Like, and my body was hurting just as bad as his was because he's having to bang with a 310, 315 pounder. And uh, I'm having to bang with somebody my size, you know, for once. You know, because mm-hmm. in high school, I don't play against guys that size. And uh, it wore me out, man. Like, it was tiring. And uh, then, you know, sophomore year, I dropped a lot of weight and um, became a little bit more in condition, and uh, so things were a little bit easier. But, you know, then comes Biggie. He's more of a face-up guy as well, and uh, right. but he's big right. body, and he can go into you. Um, so it kind of made things harder there. And then it was me, him, and AJ. and yeah, man, that was a war every single day. And we... We would get so tired of looking at the practice plan before practice and being like, oh, my God, freaking one-on-one again for, like, 15 minutes. Like, because we understand that, like, this is going to be so tiring and, like, it takes a lot out of us. And then we have to go into more drills, like, later on in the in the day. But, um, you know, now that I'm going into my senior year, uh, we have Matt Harms. You know, he's, he's a tall guy, but he's getting a lot stronger, actually. And uh, it's getting pretty tiring to guard him, too. You know, I'm sure that he gets – he goes home every day with bruises and sores, and everything going up against me, but I'm sure everybody has. Well, I was going to ask you about that with Matt Harms being uh,
0: in the mix, and he joined us last year midseason, actually, and joined us in January just after the holiday break. Do you have, because you obviously can relate to, to where he, you know, him coming in and all of a sudden, you know, wow, you're in these practices against these big guys. Do you ever, uh, do you find yourself now that you're the elder statesman, you know, kinda being a coach on the floor
1: with the other post players at times. Yeah. I mean I I do try to help Matt where where it's possible. Um he does a lot of good listening with the coaches and he does listen to them a lot. So I don't have to do too much. But um, you know, every now and then I'll just point out something that'll just kind of help him like take that next step. And he uses it against me. I can't I mean, you know, but that's what that's what should happen. Right. and and, uh, I just want him to be a really good player and I want him to be know successful as well i think he has a future in the next level as well he just got to keep working
0: we've kind of become uh purdue basketball i'm speaking of now it's kind of a the fact that you and aj and biggie and and uh, juwan johnson before that carl landry before that uh, under coach painter's tenure um we've really I don't want to say big man, you, but we've there's a reputation out there in the college basketball world and among recruits and things that uh, that if you come here, you're going to develop as a post player. You're going to get your chances to touch the ball in the block. Uh, the ball goes through the post a lot. Doesn't mean it always finishes there. It could go to the outside. But um, does that make you feel good that you know you're kind of one of those guys? You know, as a recruit, you heard the the pitch. You know, we showed you mm-hmm. clips of those guys on and, and things like that and now it's kind of come full circle now you're a guy that we're showing clips up to recruits and saying that you know these are this is the kind of development you can expect if you come to purdue um does it feel good to be part of that process and and one of those guys that now gets put out there and and made an example of yeah
1: absolutely i mean that's that's something that just kind of makes you feel special Uh, honestly it's just like man like i came such a long way and now instead of being shown clips of someone else like i'm the one being shown like you were saying and uh it just shows, like, how far you've come in four years. And, uh, and it shows, I mean, honestly, the truth. I mean, it's not like we're lying to these kids who come in. Like, we throw, we throw the ball into the post 95% of the time. Like, there should be a, a ball touch in the post every time because that's how we play. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I have to score every single time. But, you know, it runs through me and it runs through Vince or whoever gets it in the post because – Inside-out play is the most effective form play, honestly. So, uh, and it's worked through the start of the years. It won us a Big Ten championship last year, and uh, uh, hopefully, we can continue to do the same thing and get another one this year. How was
0: the? How was just that Big Ten championship run and being a part of that, and especially with the guys you came in with? You know, you guys came in and kind of uh, revitalized a program that had fallen on a couple hard years, and uh, you know, get get us back to the tournament. All three years since you've been here, and also uh, you know a Big Ten championship as a junior. Yeah,
1: I mean it's been an unbelievable process, you know, working with these guys and uh, understanding, you know, growing up with these guys as well. And uh, right. there's been some tough times, you know, off the court and on the court with them. And you know, there's been fights and there's <laughs> been there's been harsh words with each other. But at the end of the day, we stick up for each other and like if nobody messes with us except us. And uh, you know, it, it kind of helps everybody understand that. You know, basketball isn't just about the sport; it's about family as well. And uh, seeing everybody else succeed and seeing everybody else get a championship just as much as you are is just as much of a special feeling as you know winning it just by yourself. You know, in a single event sport.
2: Let me uh, let me interject something here too, if I don't If you guys don't mind, is that uh, I'm I'm one of those guys who believe, over time and again, just based on you know history that I think the hardest thing in sports, in my opinion, in team sports, is to repeat as champion. I really do. I I think it's a very difficult thing to do unless, you know, UCLA had a run there. Uh, Kansas obviously has done a pretty good job in the Big 12. Unless you have superior talent every single year, better than the other guy, uh, I I just think it's very hard to do. And in our league, it's a really hard thing to do. And right now everybody's saying, well, Michigan State clearly is the best team in our league, and here you are, the defending champion with four starters back. And uh, I don't think that you guys think that at all. However, it it has to be to keep focus. To keep focus, Isaac, uh, in another year, I'm sure you guys are starting the season with a little chip on your shoulder. Hey, we're the guys. We're the defending champs. I mean, why aren't people talking about us? And I think they are. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, but to do it twice in a row probably is pretty good incentive,
1: no? Yeah, I mean, that's that's obviously what we want to do, but we're not looking at it as kind of like a back-to-back thing. We're looking at it as, like, we're starting fresh and that it's time for another one. Uh, just, you know, under our belts, like, we just want to do it. Like, it's not like trying to do it again. It's about um, understanding that we're starting from nothing. Just because we won it last year it doesn't mean that we get any kind of special favors this year. Um, it means that we're going to have to work even harder than before because now we're the ones with the target on our back because we are the defending champs. And um, that's why even we talked about it before we went over to Big Ten Media Day that we're not wearing our rings. You know, I've seen when I went last year, um, Indiana wore their rings, and, you know, it was, it was kind, it kind of ticked me off, to be honest. And uh, I just know that I didn't want to be a part of that and I wasn't going to be that guy. And... um so uh, we, we kind of talked about it for going under there understanding that nothing is going to be given to us this year and we have to start over from scratch and that uh, with new group of guys and losing Biggie and uh, losing Spike, another form of leadership within our team, that uh, we have to fill in the roles as seniors and we have to be a better team together and uh, hopefully do it again.
0: You talk about uh, – we talked at length about Hoax Bluff and everything – uh, talk uh, talk us through this last, uh, I guess, twenty four months. Um, Spain, Taipei, Cancun, the Bahamas, upcoming. Um, several domestic cities: New York, Chicago, all the places that we've stopped and played games. Washington D.C. Uh, do you ever just sit back and, are, when you look back to you know a young kid in Alabama, and and now you've you know been able to see so much of the world. Do you ever pinch yourself and, and realize this is kind of incredible stuff you're going through?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I always thought, you know, going into college that uh, I would just, that we would just stay within our conference and that that's all that we would do. You know, we would just play games right, within each other. Right, But, I mean, we're traveling all over the world and, like, we're seeing all kinds of different stuff and, like, it's kind of opening your eyes to everything. And, um, honestly kind of maturing you to different cultures and different uh, ideas and viewpoints. And, um... I would just say like it's it's been an amazing experience. You know, Spain was obviously an awesome trip. Taiwan was an unbe- unbelievable experience playing the World University Games. Uh, going to Hawaii freshman year, like, yeah. yeah, I never I never once thought that I would go to Hawaii unless it was like I had made it in the NBA or if I had, you know it was a vacation right. spot and not right. like somewhere we play. And trust me, I'm I'm trying to go back there. That was an unbelievable experience. Um, but I do know that since I've come here, like, one of my goals before I die is to travel the world, and that's just something, I want to see everything now because I've already seen so much, like, I want to see what else there is, you know, I want to see all the major cities in the United States, I want to see, you know, everything that I haven't seen yet, and, you know, I'm I'm an outdoorsy guy, like, I've shown you videos of right. cliff diving and right. stuff, and... Man, when when I'm done, I'm probably gonna go back to that. It's just, just a, a root thing. It's where I came from, and like, it's just what makes me happy. So I want to travel the world, like see everything, see all the beautiful sights and stuff, take pictures, take my kids, hopefully one day, and uh, just kind of cross that off my bucket list. Well, before
0: <coughs> before we get to the final four segment, which wraps up uh, the podcast with four questions, I want to kind of bring this full circle to something that Larry talked about towards the beginning. Um, when we went made a trip down to Riley Children's Hospital a couple of years ago and uh, <coughs> spent some time with some kids there, and and it was a very emotional um, deal. I don't know as I don't I can't speak for you guys as players, but I know the staff. We were very very moved, and uh, Larry and I even when we got on the bus afterwards were almost brought the tears with the whole thing. Um, and and he alluded to the fact that you, you were so good with those kids. And I can't tell you how many times because one of my uh, roles here uh, as operations uh, director is to anytime we have outside groups reach out and and want involvement with our team in the community, I kind of in in the liaison and set that up and our demands at an all time high, one, because the team is good and high profile, but two, because they know what kind of kids are going to show up and you guys. In my opinion, are the gold standard. Uh, every time we show up at an event, you guys do it with a happy face, uh, a great attitude, and you usually are at the forefront of that. And kids gravitate to you, and you're just so so good around around kids. And some some college age uh, young adults struggle with that, especially if they don't have younger brothers or sisters. You've been you've been phenomenal with it. Um, I can't commend you enough for it. And then talk a little bit about that part of you and then also just your that tie-in with your sister mm-hmm. and some of the struggles she's gone through and maybe talk about that a little bit.
1: Uh, well, I mean, I guess I'm just... I could say I'm so great with kids because... I mean, I, I was a kid once. You know, like, I, I just know what I wanted like I I like to still think that I'm a kid at heart I, think, no. I
0: would say I was going to say that I think some of us think you're still just a, a kid only a lot bigger <laughs> right yeah
1: exactly I mean I I never want to grow up honestly and uh being an adult sucks <laughs> I, mean, so, I, mean, <laughs> the, I mean it's the amen, truth like, amen. I mean it, it's the truth but um you know just being around kids like that it just makes me happy and and uh I, I enjoy just being you know something that they can look up to you know and that's just something that I've always prided myself on is like being able to be something for these kids uh when I I didn't really have anybody except my dad you know my dad was just somebody who I really looked up to and uh he was always working always busting his tail for us and uh you know other than that like I never really had like a an athlete role model to look up to and so um I guess I wanted to be that for some kids and uh I always try to be that for them and so with the Riley's hospital thing um that was pretty moving for me as well especially you know knowing those kids are going through so much uh, their families are and knowing that I can do even the smallest thing to help them smile or help them you know feel better about their day and understand that you know we're here for you too Um, I would do that again in a heartbeat you know it's just I would do it every day if I could Um, obviously we don't have the opportunities now with a schedule tightening up and stuff with basketball but um, it's just been an unbelievable experience and uh, with my sister, you know, I think a lot of people in Purdue know uh, that she has epilepsy, and uh, and I felt like I've done a pretty good job of spreading awareness for that just among this campus because I've gotten so many messages from people, and they even set up, tried to set up an epilepsy day with our marketing staff. I think that which will happen, yeah, which will yeah, happen yeah. this
0: coming season. There'll be an, a day, one of our games will be uh, tied in with a, an epilepsy cause, so you. Um, that's that's gonna happen, and that's all credit to
1: you. Yeah, yeah. I just um, I wanted to do everything that I can for the epilepsy cause, and I want to. Um, uh, we haven't set a date yet. I, I need to get with them on that. It's just um, we're trying to find the date that's gonna be good for Aaron to you know miss school and come up here and uh, bring um, Nick her dog, which thanks to the Purdue fans is gonna be which has been an already huge impact in her life. Uh, I've already talked to mom about it. I've seen. Uh, Nick in action, and uh, he's—it's pretty amazing stuff. I can't lie. It's and the and the backstory on that is um, a,
0: a service dog trained to help um, those who suffer from epilepsy. And we were able to, uh, your family wanted to crowdfund a uh, to raise money for this dog, and through our great compliance people here, we were able to get that all cleared and and the and basically put it out to the purdue fans for some help and how many days was it
1: two days i mean two days it was done yeah i thought it was gonna be like a a month maybe two before we got it raised and literally in two days like it was already finished you know i had my guy miles turner uh, donate to the cause i had people from all over you know the country all over purdue just donate and man like it was it was unbelievable i just remember um my mom called me just in tears, like saying that we'd already reached the goal and I was like like, wait, what? And so I looked and it was already five thousand past the point. And so we used the rest of the five thousand, uh, for other charities for epilepsy and kinda of donate to that cause. But um it was it was an unbelievable just opportunity just to see uh, just how much support people have for that. And uh seeing the donations that people made, like it was yeah, sometimes it was all they had I had kids that were saying like I had fifty dollars in my savings account and I just put it all towards your sister I just want you to know that and I was like thank you so much like e- even like opportunities like that are just you know so special because even the kids are willing to reach out and try to help me and my sister and them um, and then man I, I almost broke down in tears but I know that everybody in my family was in tears so somebody had to be the one that was kind of like you know, the rock for him, honestly. Um, so yeah, with the epilepsy day, I do want to, I do want to bring Aaron and Nick up there and, um, I don't know, maybe a halftime or something. Um, I wanted to like go out with my family or just kind of like say thank you, you know, for, right. thank you for everything you've done. Like, this is Nick. Like, thank you so much for your help and, uh, be sure to say something there before you leave. And, uh, you know, that, that would just be really special for Erin. And uh, I know that she struggles a lot of the time with uh, making friends and, you know, and everything because everybody's so scared of epilepsy. And uh, to make her be able to feel extremely special for once would just be, I mean, she already has with the dog, honestly, and everybody helping. But, like, just one more opportunity to say thank you, like, for her to say thank you back to everyone it would just be unbelievable.
0: Well, it's a great, uh, it's a great story, and, and we appreciate you sharing all that, and we're, we look forward to that day uh, in, in Mackey. It'll be very cool. Um, the, the final four now on episode 26 here of the uh, Boilerball Podcast with Isaac Haas, and our final four questions. Our first question here,
1: Isaac, is what is your go-to music of choice? Mm, uh, probably alternative rock. Yeah, I like Three Doors Down. Three Doors Down is my, my favorite band of all time. It's my go-to.
0: Okay. Larry, do you know any Three Doors Down?
1: Mm-mm. What a kryptonite? Yeah. you, no prof, know, what you I, I'm me? sure if
0: you played, we would recognize the song. Oh my
1: gosh!
0: Larry's listening to yeah. La- Lawrence Welk down there on a beach right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
2: I have to admit to I have to admit to both of you. Somehow, this is before I came down here. Some? No, maybe it was that. No we don't really watch uh we don't have a television service down here because we're anti-tv at the moment not sports just anti-tv and not uh and elliot not to uh series we're still into so okay by the way i just started watching breaking bad finally after you told me for 10 years how old is brian cranson now when did that thing start
0: uh, it's been uh, probably ten years ago, maybe somewhere in that ballpark. Wow! Wow! Fantastic!
2: Wow. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, just I just thought I'd bring that up so again because I know you'd be happy about that. But, but my point is, one night somewhere, I ended up watching. It was it called the Rural TV Network. You familiar with that, Isaac? The Rural Television Network, and I ended up with a show on uh, accordion players. And I started watching, and I started watching the first five minutes, and to bring up your point, Elliot, it basically was the Lawrence Welk format, but it was all accordion players. These were accordion legends, from what I understood, and I started watching, I I watched the first five minutes, and then I went to seven minutes, and then it was 15 minutes, and I said, this is unbelievable, look at this stuff. Really? People are watching this? and I watched the whole half hour. Maybe 40 minutes of it.
0: Well now I, <laughs> gotta, before I, tune that. Now I gotta find a good oh, accordion CD for your Christmas present. Exactly,
2: <laughs> World TV Network. The guy's name, I forget the guy's name, but he was legendary, and he had a bunch of legendary accordion players on there, and uh, I watched 40 minutes
0: of it, so oh, yeah, okay. Next question, Next please. question of the Final Four. What is a recommended book or the most book recent book you've read?
1: Ooh! Oh gosh. I uh, I mean, most recent book I read would be the Bible. Honestly, uh, I just I read it all the time. It just helps me grow, you know, as a person and as a as a player. And uh, you know, that's pretty i don't know i don't know pretty, if we've had anybody say that though pretty, we've, pretty, we've done
0: 26 of these and i you might be the first that uh that that's your go-to book of choice i,
1: I nothing wrong with that yeah pretty good staple uh, i feel like but you know it's it's uh i feel like a stereotypical honestly with an alabama guy to, <laughs> to do that but you know it's just uh it's just something i go to every day at some point
0: okay uh, third question is, uh, and, and since you don't actually have a job, I mean, you do, but not technically a, a job, is the a profession, other than what you currently do, that if you waved a wand, you could, you would do that profession. No training Ooh. required or anything like that. So take, a, if, you know, take basketball and a student out of the mix. If you could wave a wand and do anything as a profession, what would it be?
1: And I'd be good at it? Sure. Oh, man. I that's like a good one. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Um, I, I would go off past experience. I'd be like a, a, a mowing lawns type of guy. Like, I don't know. Because,
0: yeah, seriously. You're going to cut grass?
1: Cut, I mean, seriously.
0: Oh, <laughs> this is...
1: <laughs> well, I know a guy you could talk to about well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess from... My entire high school is just kind of like what I did. Like, like you sit on a mower, man. You can just calm your mind, just kind of ride with it, and that was that was fun. Haas's
0: lawn service, I like it. See, <laughs> the, the, the beauty of that is you yeah, could we actually. To, we don't uh, need yeah, to wave can. a wand. Oh no, we could make that happen. <laughs> yeah, we can get this one. We can get this one done.
2: The trouble remember. is, uh, the trouble is though you have to you'd have to modify some of the equipment <laughs> for him to.
0: Well, head on and I guess especially
2: if he's gonna ride much. You'd have to
0: extend the I mean, old he, weed You'd walk
2: behind it and bend over, I guess, but he'd have to have a, I mean, I, as far as his uh riding skills, he'd have to have some modification, I think.
1: I guess if I could wave a wand and just have any kind of Yeah,
2: yeah, again, yeah, that's right. That's that's true. He said wave a wand, you could be anything. Well we could have you know, the equipment that wouldn't would fit you. And secondly, you'd probably get paid more if you could wave the wand. You would get paid, yeah. (laughs) Be doing thousand dollar
0: yards.
1: Yeah, I'm just. I'm thinking if I could wave a wand, just do anything I wanted. I'd probably be like a professional skydiver. Does that exist, professional skydiver? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people get the Red
0: Bull team. Okay, Uh, and then finally on the final four here, what is uh, what is one thing that no one or not many people know about you?
1: Oh. I'm an avid uh, video gamer. Yeah. For yeah, people but... who listen to this uh, podcast, if uh, there are any like kids out there, I guess. I've um, seen you. I saw you. I think it was in the airport
0: on the way to uh, Taipei. And you were online. On my computer uh, playing uh, League of Legends. On your computer gaming with someone. My cousin, yeah. You might have caught some flack for that from the. Oh, I did. I did. Yeah, <laughs> yep, I
1: did. It's a. Uh, I'm, I'm nerdy, man. I, I, I do things in my own time. Not wrong with being of... nerdy. Eh? That's, that's more, hey, and, and 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 understand he didn't
2: miss the plane, so he was okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, of course, is a reference to Larry missing our flight to Italy in uh, 2012, <laughs> which we'll get into. On another podcast, and no, somewhere.
2: no, I missed the I flight. I missed the flight with uh, 222 people on it, and, and I missed it. And I was the only person left in the airport. I mean, yes. I mean, I think how re- how ridiculously bad that is. Which I, which apparently, uh, 35 or 40 of my great Purdue people just walked right by me and got on the plane
0: without me. Uh, so, so, just an awful, I'm just saying. awful moment for all of yeah. us involved in that wondering where the heck Larry Clisby was as we're flying 12 hours over the Atlantic Ocean ok yeah. so that, uh, that wraps right. us up there uh, episode 26 of the podcast Isaac thanks for stopping by yeah um, absolutely thanks Isaac best of luck as we start this journey here uh, getting ready to start a few exhibition games coming up and then dive right into the regular season and looking forward to seeing what you can do on the court this year yes sir thank you all right that was episode 26 here in the boiler ball podcast I want to appreciate everybody for listening and uh, when we record our next one Larry will actually be in studio with us which will be nice to see his sparkling face again until next time everyone be curious be informed and be well